I'm not your guru. There's plenty of other people faking that status. I am a committed man willing to intentionally go to war with myself every day and share with you as I do it. These are the conversations I have with myself as I do the damn work today and along the way. So no, I'm not your guru, but I am down to be your guide. So let's ride. Welcome to another episode of the Committed Man Podcast. I'm here with my good friend, lifetime friend, Fred Sasani. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. How are you? Thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm honored to be on it. For sure, man. I knew when I was receiving, like I was feeling this calling to go deeper and starting to do coaching with men and the idea to start a podcast, I knew that you would be the first guest that I have on. So I appreciate you being willing to do that for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So, look, I think this is a really good chance. Um, you and I have known each other. Man, let's go back in the years. So, graduated in 96. I think you ended up coming to, what, Pflugerville High School. It, was it like 94? 95. 95. Uh, we played football together. So, we've known each other for a long time. And we, we'll talk about some of that history. But, um Let's dive into your story because I know you have a fascinating story and I don't think you've been able to like fully share your story in a way where people can understand like where you've come from and how you got here and and the struggles and the successes along the way. So let's talk about childhood a little bit, man. What what kind of things had your interest when you were young? Well, as a little kid, I remember I I just always loved being active and playing sports. I was always on my bike. I was always playing soccer. I was always just outside. I just, I was just free at heart, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to move. I just wanted to play, and 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 I love having like a group of friends and community, and those are the things that I just loved, and I knew that was inside of me. So it's like I remember when I first saw like a bodybuilding magazine when I was like like seven years old I got so intrigued by the way that they looked and the way that they they like what they were doing and 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 I remember that just kind of stayed in my head and it just it just never left man so I just mm. love I just love being active I've played sports since from what I can remember all the way till you know my college years yeah okay so you were into the sports and I know um Let's talk a little bit about like where you grew up and what kind of sports had your interest the most. Mm-hmm. What did you like to do? Like, where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Iran. I was born in Tehran to <clears throat> to uh, an amazing dad and an amazing mother, and I've got two brothers there. And the sports that we grew up playing, there was there was two sports, two main sports: is Roman Greco wrestling, and it was soccer. And mm. those were the two things that. I was really good at and but I I didn't stop there I tried basketball I played tennis I played um water polo uh I swam competitively so I did everything that I could my parents always found a way to get me involved in different things even when I was even when I was there but as a child you know maybe maybe this is just me or maybe a lot of people can relate to this but we played in the streets, man. We took our ball and we went to the streets. We played mm-hmm. soccer from sunup to sundown. 
we would eat at somebody else's house and drink water out of water faucets and ride our bikes around the streets. It was just one yeah. big community for us. So where I lived this, you know, we had streets from, you know, the first street all the way up to 13th street, which was at the base of a, a beautiful mountain called Albor's mountain in Tehran. And we would just, there was just kids everywhere. So as soon as you walk out, you always had a playing partner. So it's really different from where my kids are growing up right now and the kind of society that they're in. But we were just always outside activity. And it was, that's, I just, I just, I think that was some of my best memories. And I just loved doing that as a kid. Man. Okay. So grew up in Iran. Um, so how long were you there up, up until what age? So I was born there until the age of uh, ten, and then when I when I came when we came to the U.S., I was eleven. So I turned eleven when we came to the U.S. Okay, now I know your story, right? Some of it. I think you might end up sharing some things that I don't know here, but I know you had some some great times there in Iran. You have lots of memories, like the family and the community, and how y'all did things together, and how just like you talked about, you could go to all your friends' houses, and everybody was welcome. Um, there was also also some challenging times that you had to deal with when you were there. So, what were some of the challenges that you dealt with um, as a young boy growing up in Iran? Well, in, Iran was always going through changes. Even when I was born, when I was born, nineteen seventy nine, a revolution happened to where the king of Iran at that time was exiled, and he was basically pushed out of the country, and the the mullahs and the ayatollah and hardcore islam um culture came into came into iran and took it over in 1979 and in 1980 a war happened and uh, saddam hussein decided that he was gonna he found he saw weakness in iran so he started attacking iran and um i was i basically lived through an entire war so from the time that i was born until the time that i left iran was under attack so, and I remember the the breaking point for my parents for wanting to get the hell out of there was when a bomb was dropped only three streets up from where we lived. And that shook everybody, like literally and figuratively. Mm. But thank God I had, a, you know, an amazing mom and dad that decided that they were going to get educated. My dad was educated at University of Texas. He's an electrical engineer. And my mom is a, was a registered nurse. And um, they both speak English. They're very educated. And their plan all along was to to have us here, but also have a home there. That way, so you could go back and forth. But the relations between the country broke. Long story, it's it's been broken, and it's been broken until today. And it's still difficult for Iranians to go back, especially with all the stuff that's happening to them right now. But as a kid, it was... For me, it was like the most important thing was I was just I just wanted to be with my parents, right? I just wanted to be with my brother. I just wanted to be with my mom and dad, and they did an amazing job through a crazy time to make us always feel safe, um, to always have a home. You know, it's like I never felt abandoned. I never felt scared. I never felt anything because they always did a, just such an amazing job comforting us mm. that everything was going to be okay, even when I knew we were leaving the country. I, I had a feeling as a you know ten year old boy that I was never going to come back go, go back there again, and I was okay with it because I was going with my mom and with my brother, and I was going to see my older brother, which had already come to the United States three years before, and um, yeah, it was really tough. And then when we got here, 
the tough part that I had to live without my dad for three years because he had to stay back and retire from the job that he was that he had there. He couldn't just pack his stuff up and just leave. So all the affairs had to get taken care of and he had to sell everything and get everything done before he could actually come here. So when we came here to the US, you know, we went from a really like a upper middle class to having everything and having a life and vacations and money and food to coming to the United States and just go straight to the bottom of the barrel as far as poverty goes, because we had to live in somebody else's house. We had to live in a friend's house for about a year. And so my mom was able to regain her RN license here in the US and get a job and get on her feet. And then my dad came and then they both basically pushed themselves back and rebuilt their life all over again. And I was a witness of that as a kid. And, you know, that that changes you when you have to go from one country to another country. And then you see your mom and dad have to separate, not because they don't want to be with each other, but that's what's good at that time for your family. And then for them to reunite and rebuild their kingdom all over again. So as as a father now and as 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 someone that's in their 40s now and I can look back and say to myself like shit like this is my parents were doing this at this age like with kids that are the same age as my kids right now. Mm. So it puts a lot of things in perspective of like what power and what determination and what level of like balls you got to have to say you know what we're going to rip all of these roots out of the soil and take it to another soil and then start all over again. And we hope that this tree continuously produces the fruit that it was producing before. So mm. it, um, so it, it does a lot of shit to you whenever you you're a kid and you're watching this and it created a lot of issues inside of me as well too, because now it's like I lived you know, 10 years there. And then uh, you're moving into a new culture. It's a new language. It's new food. It's new friends. It's new people. Um, it's like everything was like everything was changing. But the cool thing about being a kid is that you, you can adapt quickly. But mm. unfortunately, you can't process all of these things because you have a 10 year old brain and you don't have right, some like right. adult brain that you can analyze these things. And I think that's where a lot of like future problems for me happened because of all these past things but we were in such a fast mode of like hurry up you don't know the language learn the language learn to read like i had to learn how to write and read when i was 11 years old so i got thrusted mm. into the seventh grade without any english whatsoever and that's like the worst time to go to fucking school that's the worst time i mean it's middle school everybody is like you know going through weirdness of puberty and you know it's like that's where the, all the bullying and all the crazy shit happens it's right there in middle in middle school so and mm. it wasn't in the greatest part of the town either. It was in the it was even a kind of a rough part of town. It was a rough school. And um but yeah, man, it was it was just there was just so much that happened that doesn't normally happen to a normal kid that's ten years old that's just got a mom and a dad and they live in a house and you know, they have their own life. You know, we had to switch sides of the world in order for our life to become better. But it wasn't that great in the process. You know, it's like it was real dirty at the beginning until they got themselves up and we got ourselves going and everything started to kind of get itself kind of rolling in the right direction. Man, that's I just want to make sure everybody caught the everything that happened there because there was a lot there. Right. So imagine living in a, a foreign country and then. It, <laughs> 
parents having to make a decision to uproot the family. So the brother, older brother ends up leaving three years before. Right. And then mom and younger brothers finally decide that it's time for them to go. So they leave. Dad's still left behind. And then a few late, a few years later, dad comes over. And this whole time, your mom is thinking about how to, you know, rebuild and, and get things going here while your your dad is waiting to be able to come over. And so and then you get here, you're this middle school age, don't know any English. You got to learn how to speak English, learn how to write. Like what a story of perseverance for everybody in your family at that time, because that is uh, definitely not the norm. Like you talked about, you know, if, if a family is raised here, you know, you, you get kind of raised into all these these comforts that you have. Right. You're going to you're going to go to school. You're going to learn this language. You're going to hopefully, you know, live with both of your parents, those types of things where you had all of that shaken up at some point at yeah. the age of 10. Yeah, um, that's, that's that's powerful, man. And so yeah. my guess is that a lot of what you went through, not only did it create these challenges within you that you talked about, which is, you know, rightly so as, as a 10 year old, but it probably created some pretty powerful principles and commitment inside you. And so let's talk about a little bit as you, you get into your teenage years, right? Things start to kind of open up for you. I know you get to high school, you're doing really well playing sports, you're doing well in school. Um, tell us, tell us a little bit about the high school years for you. Well, I first, I first started going to a, a school down South at Travis high school and Travis at that time was not a, not the greatest school just because it was just in, not in a good area. But my mom got this job that allowed us to move North and mm-hmm. to North of Austin where Pflugerville is. And I remember I didn't want to move because I had created this community this community of friends. And I just didn't want to restart over again. I didn't want to be that foreigner kid that has to get used to new Mm. friends. But the cool thing was that my body was developing. I was dropping my accent. So you couldn't really tell I was from somewhere else. Um, I didn't look that different from the other kids, you know, so it's like I was blending in. And all I cared about was just like, I was just like, I just want a place I can blend in. I don't want people to keep asking me where I'm from. And because, you know, the geography knowledge of some of these people that uh, some of the kids that I went to school with was just like zero to none. Like you tell them you're from Iran and they would ask you like, hey, you know, do you eat rocks or do you, you know, you live on, you live in a desert or you ride camels. And, and the funny joke is like the first camel I ever saw was at the San Diego Zoo. Like that, that's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like people think yeah. we just, you know, we were living under a rock and, um, but you know, we made the move to Pflugerville and I remember coming to Pflugerville High School and at the moment I stepped into school and I saw the condition of the school, I saw, you know, everybody was just kind of dressed different. It was clean. And I said to myself right there, I was like, this is your restart. This is your mm-hmm. chance right here to kind of hide your true identity. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was a, that was a thing that it's like that kind of where it kind of started. I was like, nobody needs to know you're from Iran. Your last name is Sasani. So it sounds Italian and Italian is much cooler than being a Middle Eastern at that time, because Mm. we were at a war with like Kuwait and, you know, it's like all of these things. And, and, you know, it's like, I mean, you just got made fun of all the time, right? You know, it's like, does your dad own a gas station? You know, just all the, all the prejudice you could possibly think of. It was always there. So the funny thing was, like, in football, my, my name, like, they, you know, they had, like, nicknames on the lockers. 
You know, some people were like Flash and this. They had named me like the Italian Stallion. I'm like, hell yeah, we're going to go with that. Because because if they're calling me that, then nobody's going to question where I'm coming mm. from, what I'm doing. There were some friends that I knew. But at that time, I was like, man, I'm just going to re- rewrite this, revamp this, and just almost kind of like hide a little bit. So mm. I wasn't truly myself there in high school because I was just too busy trying to be cool and trying to be trying to make friends. I just wanted to be accepted. That's all I just wanted to be accepted. So, but there were some great relationships that I still have to this day, which the greatest one is you. And, you know, and it's like once I got to see my friends outside of high school and when high school was over and we were older and it's like, then they really kind of figured out who I really was. They were all surprised. They're like, man, we never knew you were from the Middle East or we never knew you didn't speak English until you were 11 or we didn't know because you're just trying to be cool, right? They're just trying to do mm-hmm. that. But one thing that happened in the in, in high school is I, I found the weight room. I found the weight room and I remember Coach Wallen um, had a really big impact on me and I realized I was like, I'm a little bit smaller. I'm not as fast. You know, it's like I'm not as talented as some of these kids, but I love playing this game. So the only way to beat everybody is to just basically get stronger, get faster, and just outwork them. And that mentality came from watching my mom. That that mentality came watching my mom reading a nursing book that was that basically like the nurse's guide or whatever, like it's their encyclopedia. That's what she read in Iran when we were making our move. And that's the only like literature she had to pass the RN tests. She's had practical practice. She'd been a nurse for 20 years before that, but she had to redo the license in English, mm. right? But there was no courses she took. There was no classes that she went to. She was just reading like the nursing encyclopedia. And, oh, man. and, she, and that's what I'm saying. It's like when my dad came to the U.S. when he was 28 to go to University of Texas, he didn't know a word of English. By the time he was done, he was leaving with an electrical engineering degree. So I saw them. I saw them the way that they worked. I saw their commitment. I saw that they never made excuses. And I just said, you know what? You know, hell with this. You know, I'm going to get into the weight room and I'm just going to outwork everybody. Like my mom and dad outworked everybody. That's why we're here. So it's all about outworking people. And I don't know if you remember or not, but I just, I just lived there. I lived in the weight room. And I don't, at that time, I don't, you know, I don't know if I was doing things the right way or the wrong way, but I was just in the weight room. I was creating that habit of like, you're going to go party. I'm going to go lift weights. You're going to go out. I'm going to go lift weights. You're going to do this. I'll be doing sprints. And it really paid dividends. It really did pay dividends. And I was kind of building that on the back end because I realized that's how I could win because there was no way I was going to win. And academically, I was behind too. I didn't do really good good in school at all because my English was not very good as far as my writing skills, reading skills, and I had dyslexia. So it's like it was all over the place. So, But I had to – if somebody would read a paper one time, I would have to read it 10 times just to understand what that page meant. So mm-hmm. it was really difficult for me to kind of get it going. And then towards the end of my senior year, I realized my GPA was really low. And they said, you know, your only option is going to be – you know, to go to like a community college or whatever. And that's when I started researching community colleges and found one that had, you know, a football team because I wanted to continue to play football. And that's how I got into college. But then when I got into college, 
that's when I really learned how to study and really kind of went after it. And it, it, it turned out to be pretty, it turned out to be pretty, pretty awesome. Man. So I know you ended up, you ended up playing your four years in college, you end up coming back home from college. Uh, we'll kind of fast forward a little bit to where, you know, you get back home. Uh, and I know when you came back home, you were kind of in this dark place trying to figure out like what now, because you had spent so much time in your athletic endeavor, right? And that's where you found your identity. And then you, that was your group of friends. Those were your people. You know, you had that for eight years in a row through, through high school and college. And then that's gone. You're back home and you have to decide like, what am I going to do with this life? And so tell us about that transition coming back home and what you decided to do after that. I can tell you that the transition from coming home from Kansas Wesleyan University, the drive back home was the most depressing drive I've ever had in my life because I left all my brothers behind and I knew I was never going to see them again. Mm. And one thing I can tell you is like when you have a community like that, when you have something that you have a bond and a lot of people would feel that in high school because, you know, you're there for four years, you grow up with those kids, but most people don't go off and get scholarships and play football. So I had another four years of meeting all these other teammates and have to go through all of these difficulties and ups and downs and wins and losses and, you know, dorms and, you know, chow halls and just, just community, right? You're just, whether you like the guy or not, you just wanted to do good just so we could all win as a team. And I knew when I was coming home and it was the most depressing drive ever because here I was, I graduated with honors. I was a two-time all-conference free safety and then it was over, over. And it brought back the same exact feelings that I had when I came here to the U.S. is when I had to leave all my family behind, all my uncles, all my aunts, all my cousins, you know, my food, my culture, like everything. I had to leave it behind because I knew I wasn't going to go back. Because I'm not going to go back to college to play football. I got no more eligibility left. And I was a good college player, but I wasn't an NFL. I wasn't an NFL talent. So it was like, what are you going to do now? And I can tell you that I went through a mad depression for about two years. And because I didn't know what that was, I didn't know to get help. I didn't know what to do about it. And um, the working out was a constant in my life. So I would always go to the gym. I know you and I reconnected because... We both met at the gym. You were working out at Gold's Gym, and I just showed up there, and I saw you, and then we just we just took off um, took off from there, and never never disconnected. And but losing that community, losing the people, losing that support system, losing those close bonds that I had worked so hard to make, and have it be just over because you graduated college. I'm telling you, it is something that a lot of guys don't want to talk about. It's a lot of uh, people from the military that don't want to talk about. I think it's talked about more now. But when you're in an environment like that and you come into civilian life, it it sucks. It sucks mm. because you don't have because I've always been like a, a like a, you know, agenda guy. 
Like at eight o'clock, you're going to class. At at ten, you got English. At twelve, you got lunch. At three, you got practice. At five, you got film. At seven, you have study hall. At ten, you're going to bed. Like it was just, and I thrive under that system. But then mm. when you're let loose into civilian life, and all of a sudden is like you got to go get a car, you got to make a payment, you got to go pay rent, you got to go do this, you got it's like. You're like, wait a minute, like, where's the order in all of this? It's like, where's the team? Where's my support system? And if you're not part of like some kind of a, you know, like a dojo or like a gym or, you know, like, and I tried it. I tried to go to play. I tried to go play like basketball at YMCA's and I tried to go play flag football and I tried to recreate this kind of this team atmosphere. But then I realized I couldn't do it because these guys were not on the same mission that I was. They were like, fighting each other and cussing each other and i'm like man i don't want to be a part of this like i just yeah i'm gonna come out here and make some bonds i'm like dude you're a plumber you got to go to work on monday like what are you doing fighting this dude like we're this is not the super bowl but it, it had lost its like value to where it's like i just stopped i just stopped going to all of those like weekend games and different things because it was actually making things worse for me because i was realizing that there's actually it, those are more chaotic than anything else so that was that was really really tough coming back home and i'm just so grateful that i reconnected with a couple of people again you being that main person that has kind of really propelled both of our lives up to this point and also you know meeting Nanette and uh you know meeting people like martha and meeting like real key people that are still in our lives that made a huge change that allowed me to recreate this team that I want to be a part of. Cause I was mm. like, if the team is not out there. I'm just going to build this thing now. Yeah. I'm just going to build it one person at a time and let's mm. see who, who's going to stick around and who's not going to stick around. Man. Okay. So let's talk about that. That's so you end up, you know, you've gone through your childhood, right? You end up here in the U S uh, you navigate that as well as you can. Uh, you end up graduating college, you come back home, you finally decide, all right, I'm going to build this team. So uh, that leads to eventually, you know, putting bodies by design together. So uh, what is it, what triggered you to the point where is it, you know what, I'm going to help other people, help other humans improve their lives and start bodies by design. Yeah. I think on the, on the way drive on the, on our drive back home from um, the university, I told my mom and dad, I said, look, um, I said, I just don't see myself checking in and checking out, out of corporate world. I said, I don't see myself putting in resumes and going in for interviews and asking for promotions. I was like, I just don't see myself doing that. And I think they already knew that. They already knew that I had this kind of mentality of leadership and mentality of like leading from the front and leading by example, because that's what they have done. They, they taught me that. They showed it to me, you know, mm. and uh, and they didn't fight it. They didn't say anything. And it was it's very um, surprising from like Middle Eastern moms and dads. For any of you that are have a, a Middle Eastern descendant, you all heard the same message, you know, go to school, get a better job. And the higher the education, the more pay you get, because that's what they were taught in the past. So. But I remember coming back and I, and, and there was a, um, and I was like, I got to get into something with exercise. So what I did is I got in with a company called Advocare, which is a supplement company. And I became a distributor with them, which allowed me to go around, talk to athletes and get them on supplements and different things. And then an opportunity at my high school, our, our high school, Pflugerville High School came to where they had like an athlete's course. 
to where during the summertime, you would go and train the kids that were transitioning to the higher grade, and they were going to be in sports the following year. And I remember I showed up the first day, and there was over 200 kids. And that was my first gig as a coach. And I was like, holy cow, what am I going to do with 200 kids? But again, it just kicked in. It it was just basically off-season. I had just come out of football off-season, so I knew exactly what to do with them. So that that went really successful, and um, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is I want to mm-hmm. I want to be in the I want to be in the weight room because this is where I feel the most comfortable. I feel the happiest, and I also know that the weight room is a place where it changed my mind, and it changed my mind, which eventually it changed my body, which eventually changed my trajectory in college and my education and and everything that went with it. So, and then an opportunity came. I remember your mom saw an ad in the paper that a local gym was looking for trainers. And, you know, mm-hmm. the two of us went there and, um, and we, we, we started there. And, and that's how I kind of like worked my way into a gym to become like a trainer and a coach. And then it just really morphed after that. Yeah, man. Um, and so... You know, I know because I'm I'm right there with you every day. Um, so thankful for Nanette for what she did and uh, just her her willingness to take on, like I said before, like two snotty nosed kids who just had a passion for life. Right at that point, we're just excited. We had energy. We had something to give. Yeah. Um, and and you really kind of were the visionary and took off with this thing and like saw where it could go. And still to this day, like that's you. Uh, and you know, 21 years later, that that facility has done some amazing work with thousands of people and won all kinds of awards. So talk about how uh, the business has transitioned over the years or or evolved over the years. Uh, And we'll start right there. Well, yeah, I started just doing one-on-one training and it was at a kind of like a small local gym. And I was just taking on clients and we were just training them like, you know, like old school training. And I remember I had about maybe 20 clients at the time and I was spending a lot of time at the gym. And I remember thinking to myself that this is not a sustainable model. I cannot continue to train people for eight to nine to 10 hours a day and I'm not gonna have time to eat, work out, have a girlfriend, you know, go out on dates, you know, go on vacation because you're always locked in, committed to just those one-on-one sessions. And I also feel like that I wasn't making that much of a big impact, which was kind of bothering me too. And I remember in 2000, it was it was right around 2007 or 2008, I had one of my clients that's been with me for a long time, which is Stacy, and she's still with me 22 years and so grateful for her and the relationship that we have built. She came in and I remember she was late for her session and I was training, I was going to train Martha and uh, and she was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, Fred. Um, I, you know, I can't, I can't work out. You know, I got stuck in traffic and this and this and this." And Martha looked at me and she said, "Well, why don't she just work out with me?" And this is mm. before like semi-private or before like group training or anything was popular because everything was just on one-on-ones. Like you had like your little like aerobic classes, but it wasn't like this. And I looked at Martha and I said, "Are you sh- are you sure you're okay?" That Stacy, she said, "I love Stacy. She can work out with me anytime she wants to." That right there changed everything because I just mm. realized that, okay, Martha likes Stacy. Stacy likes Martha. They like to train together. They're not objecting that they're not getting one-on-one training. 
they actually loved that training so much that they requested if they could work out together. And then I just realized I just shrunk my schedule by two hours. And I was like, wait a minute. How about this person and this person? And I just started matching people up. And that's how it started. And then I realized that the more people we got in, not that we got into this massive groups of people, but it was like two people or three people or four or five clients. The workouts were more intense. People were getting more results. And then what was happening instead of me working eight hours, I was only working three hours and it was opening up my day to where I can create my own life and, you know, like get to my house and clean my house and go on a date and do, do whatever it is that, that I was doing because I was locked in that gym for eight to nine hours a day. And, but the cool thing was everybody was getting results. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm like, this is, I like how this kind of just went and I just kind of went with it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I remember in 2000, 2010, I had actually gotten married and I always say God has, you know, it's like you have plans and God kind of laughs at it. And then he shows you his plans. And yeah. uh, in 2010, the gym owner of, uh, of that place, he basically said, look, I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, if you want to buy the gym, I'll sell it to you because I was contracting out of a gym. And I told him, I was like, you know, I remember you and I talked about it, too. I was running through the numbers. We went we even went to his house. I just the numbers were, were real funny looking. And um, I was just like, I, I don't think I want to do this. And uh, so went three doors down, talked to, talked to Nanette. I said, hey, let's, let's turn this small little studio that you have right here into a personal training studio. And then I'll bring my clients over. You have your clients. We can train them. And we don't have to be under the you know, rule of anybody else. And that was my dream the whole time. My, whole, my dream was to be able to do what I wanted to do with my clients because – I wanted to do it my way. And that created that because now I went from a big kind of a commercial looking gym to like 3000 square feet of space. And we were training our clients and it just, and it happened at the worst time, man. This is why when people say like, Hey, economy is bad or economy is this, like that happened at the worst time, like between 2008 and 2000, like 12, that's when we had the greatest housing crash like of all time. Like everybody was losing everything. But somehow, some way, our company, you know, it's like Bodies by Design was like, was growing two folds at a time. And we got so much bigger, like in that process to where that small space couldn't contain us anymore. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's when we made the transition to the space that we're in right now. And uh, I remember... I called you because it was kind of a colossal task. I was like, dude, I was like, hey, you you and I weren't together at that time. And I was like, hey, you know what? Can can you help me move some of this equipment to this new place? And uh, I remember through that move, once we were done or halfway through, you were like, hey, man, what do you think if I come in and we can make this kind of like a three-headed monster thing? And that that became really exciting. And because now it's like my best friend from high school, Nanette has been my partner and like the person that gave us the, our chance from, you know, 2002, it's like, we all kind of get back together again. And it was like, like we got the band back together and, and it's been a, and it's been a really, really amazing ride so far because that transformation from like where we were and to where we are right now, it's such a different look. 
it's such a different feel it's such a different culture um but you know that they, they, we always put in that hard work consistency and i think that's what's really kind of paid us back because we just want to take care of people and we just want to love on them and it's not about just making money it's about making an impact and uh that's mm. that's where we are right now with with bodies by design and that's you know it's a it's a gym that you know we've been voted top five in the past five years in austin as a top five gym all the trainers including yourself have been voted as a top five trainer in in the austin area um we do a ton of ton of uh, community work we're adopting families at the end of the year um we, we're doing a lot of stuff for saint jude every single year we're running the warm-ups for the 5k and we've raised thousands over the years so it's not so much again about like always making it about business and money it's if you can make this about people that's what my mindset is always like if you can make this about people the money will flow the success will flow but you don't want that to flow without awesome relationships. It it, it yeah. sucks, you know. It's like you're it's like you're rich, but you're super poor. So, and the relationships that we have in there, like the people like Martha, like Stacy, like Susan, um, you know, like the people that have been with you for twenty some odd years, and you know they've been through our, they've watched us grow up. You know, it's like the people watch me for go from a single man to a girlfriend to a wife to two kids. You know, and that's really, yeah. you got to wrap your head around that sometimes. And uh, and again, that has morphed into bigger things and bigger things. And again, it's just, it's just been such an amazing, amazing ride throughout this whole Bodies by Design journey. Yeah, man, what a powerful story all the way from your childhood to this point. And I uh, appreciate you being open and sharing. I think um, when, when other men hear you talking about this, what they're going to really hear is that commitment has been really important to you throughout all of this, because otherwise there was plenty of instances for you to kind of pull back, to quit, to like fall into shame and to fall into guilt. And, and it's not that you didn't feel some of those things, but there was something else that drove you. And I feel like the, the commitment that you had through all of this has been really, really strong. So let me ask you, man, what does it mean to you? to be a committed man? You know, that's a, that's an amazing question. And that's something that I've always thought about is we all have to have, we all have, we all have a certain value, right? And we all have to have, we all have to be valid because if I'm not a committed man, then I'm not very valid in Mm. society. And what I mean by that is, like, if I don't take care of the real basic stuff, let's just go down to, like, the foundation. Like, if I don't get the right amount of sleep, if I don't get the right amount of food in my body, if I don't work out and make my body strong, if I don't read the proper books, if I don't network properly, if I don't get myself close to people that are like-minded like yourself, what happens is that that I'm not the best version of myself. When I'm not the best version of myself, it's difficult for me to commit to my wife it's difficult mm. for me to commit to my kids. It's difficult for me to commit myself to the gym. And it's damn sure difficult to commit myself to any of my clients because I don't have the foundation to carry all of that. And then mm. what happens is you lose your validity. There's, you, you're not valid anymore. And when you're not valid, what happens? People leave you. And when you're not valid, society leaves you. When you're not valid, uh, you're no longer needed. 
like if I'll give you a perfect example is like a lot of people are wondering like why Tom Brady keeps playing football. He knows the moment that he stops playing, he will no longer be valid. Mm. The way that he is at this moment. That's why he doesn't want to let go. Instead of becoming valid in a different part of his life, he just knows he's going to lose this part of it, right? And I'm just using that as an example, right? But if I lose, if I don't do the things that's important to take care of me and I'm not committed to myself, it's difficult to be committed to someone else or something else. And that's mm. where a lot of depression, that's where a lot of anxiety, that's where a lot of uh, fighting and a, a lot of loss as far as like you could be gaining so much amazing things in your life where you continuously lose everything because if you can't even commit to yourself, how are you going to commit to your job or your wife or whatever? So my biggest fuel that that runs in my body is like how valid am i and i mm. don't want to lose that validity with my kids i don't want to lose it with my wife i don't want to lose it with my family because like i said if you lose that validity then you're no longer needed and when you're no longer needed you will be replaced so mm. it's important that commitment is so important and the moment I break that commitment to myself, that's the greatest disappointment. It's not to anyone else. It's to myself. So I want to be madly committed to myself and the basic things that can get me going on a daily basis in order for me to be able to shoulder the chaos that always is at the front door wanting to come in. Really strong, man. And I love that you have this really strong kind of black and white view on it where you don't have a you don't leave yourself a gray area to play in. Like you're either committed or you're not. You're either valid or you're not. And I think that's one of the greatest takeaway messages that everybody can, you know, men can use from this. This podcast is the more you can get yourself out of the gray area and just decide, like make a decision that you're going to be this man. That's the moment life changes because there's no other option after that. Right. It makes it really hard to be and do something else. So, man, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing your story, especially the struggles of you know coming through from another country, um, even though another man may have not come from another country. Just understanding what it takes to move yourself forward is going to be a powerful lesson. Um, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you being open and sharing all that. Oh, yeah, man. Anytime. I appreciate you having me as the first guest. Uh, I know you've been wanting to do this for a long time, and I'm very excited for you. And I'm very excited to hear the the stories of other men that you're going to be interviewing, because I feel like we can all learn from each other. And this community of men need to come together. You know, yeah, we've got to come together because it is true that men need each other. And when you lose that tribe, it's difficult to handle all these things by yourself. So you need other good men to be able to talk to and bounce ideas off of and be able to have that door to open and not be judged. So I think you're doing an amazing thing. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this journey takes you on. And uh, I appreciate being the first committed man on the podcast. No doubt, man. And we'll definitely have you on again because we know life evolves. So appreciate you all tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.